Hi and welcome to the Homeopathy Health Show. I'm Atik Ahmad Bhatti, a fourth generation homeopath with over 25 years of professional experience and practice in this field of healing. The Homeopathy Health Show is the online voice of homeopathy around the world, promoting and raising awareness of this truly unique system of healing, which is suitable for all ages, young and old. Every week I invite guests from the world of homeopathy to come and share their experiences, their work, offer insights and essentially talk all things homeopathy. Why not visit www.liketreatslike.co.uk and click on the radio and podcast button to listen to the latest episodes. So let's begin today's show here on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Homeopathy Health Show here on UK Health Radio. And I'm your host, Atik Amadbati. Now my guest on today's show is Elizabeth Adalian, who is a homeopath based in the United Kingdom. She has been practicing homeopathy for over 30 years. During that time, she has also volunteered in former war-torn countries such as Croatia, Cyprus and Ethiopia, as a contribution to the recovery programs being held there. Now, as a result of these experiences, Elizabeth has dedicated herself to the subject of trauma, having recently brought out a book called Touching Base with Trauma, Reaching Across the Generations, a three-dimensional homeopathic perspective. And I will be talking to Elizabeth about her book and her travels and the work that she has done in these war-torn countries. So without further ado, let's welcome my guest for today's Homeopathy Health Show podcast, Elizabeth Adalian. Um, Elizabeth uh, Adalian, thank you so much for coming on the Homeopathy Health Show, and uh, I'm grateful for your time. It's a privilege. Thank you for inviting me. So like I do with uh, all my guests, um, <laughs> good or bad, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing here, but uh, I think it's always nice to know what your journey was to homeopathy and uh, what sort of attracted you to this uh, to homeopathy and the system of healing? It's an interesting question. <clears throat> I think like many people, it was through one of my children being ill and being fobbed off with antibiotics when it was completely evident that she didn't need them at all. And calling on a homeopath by recommendation of a local health shop and not really understanding what homeopathy was in those days. But he immediately spotted what the issue was, which the doctor hadn't determined. And by the time I approached the doctor and the homeopath, the child was well. But the night before, she'd been more or less convulsing. And it turned out it was from eating ice pops from the freezer, which she'd um, relished quite avidly, (laughs) pushing a chair up to the freezer and thus not thinking anything of it until the night time came. And by the morning, I was quite perplexed. I hadn't actually taken her to a doctor because I somehow managed to keep her cool and keep everything at bay. But um, I went to see a friend who was working at the health shop, and he said, look at homeopathy. And that was the turning point for me when I saw the results. That's so similar to so many stories I hear. And, uh, you know, to be honest, Elizabeth, it is actually one of the best experiences, isn't it? Because 
when you're sort of um, at your end, at the end of your tether, and you're thinking, "Oh, what's going on here? Why, why can't I find something that will get rid of this 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 ease or this ailment or this hiccup in in someone's journey?" And you come across homeopathy, and it's like, "Hey, presto!" and and it's almost too good to be true, and it works, and it's done and dusted, and you can just move on with your life. But sometimes it leaves you pondering, doesn't it? You know, that literally, what happened? What did I just witness? You know, how how did this happen? Yes, I agree with you, and, and um, I feel like you say we have a privilege to be part of this type of healing, and it really is true healing, I think. Times are changing. I find that um, post-pandemic, and, I, and I've said this to so many of, of the guests on the show, that post-pandemic, um, people are very open now to homeopathy. I oh. think this is absolutely the time for homeopathy now, mm. and uh I, I think it's everyone I've been speaking to, the, the feedback is always so, so positive. And, and like I was saying to uh, a previous guest, actually, on the podcast, um, it, it's not about whether people actually then start to use homeopathy. It's the fact that we're in a situation now where people are saying, OK, I, I, I don't want to use it, but just tell me about it so I understand what it is. And, you know, when you understand something, you appreciate it and, and, or you can recognize it and, and it's there and you never know what point in their life it's going to become a reality where they'll say, let me try homeopathy. Absolutely. And I see it as a process. And I think it's quite hard for people to make that leap to understand that the ball is also in their court. It's not just about the medicine. And it's a work in progress. Now, Elizabeth, you have volunteered in former war-torn countries, which include Croatia, Cyprus and Ethiopia, as a way or as a contribution to the recovery programs there. So do uh, tell us about um, the recovery programs that were already in place and what your role was was there as such uh, going in and, and what you were involved with and the differences that, that, that you made. Well, it was interesting because I um, contacted an organisation called Frontline Homeopathy, which existed at that time. It was run by somebody called Peter Chappell, who's a very established homeopath who's done a lot of work overseas. And um, he actually allocated me to be the team leader in Croatia. And at the same time, he said, you realise that this is the most complex of all the roles. They're very, very embattled among themselves still after the war. But I think you'll be able to tackle it. And I thought, well, why is he choosing me? And it was a battle. And there was a lot of fight and difficulty breaking through with that message of uh, remaining the unprejudiced observer. The prejudices were very, very ingrained. Mm. And I spent a lot of time working on that. And then I went to Bosnia. And when I went to Bosnia, I went with a, a Dutch homeopath who was um, sent there as part of the team from the United Nations to bring reconciliation because of the atrocities which were carried out there and there hadn't been enough protection for the population. And um, we worked very closely together. He was actually a doctor homeopath and very, very committed to the field of trauma. And we were a very good team. But I did find in Bosnia the level of understanding and the keenness to imbibe homeopathy was almost avaricious. They were so on the ball. And I 
try to understand why this was so much the case in that country as opposed to parallel countries. And I realized, of course, that their level of suffering was the most extreme. And um, just standing in the valley in Sarajevo and seeing all the tombstones was the most moving experience of my life. And I can never forget that place and what it left and the, and the, the ability for people to learn homeopathy there and to, to transcend all that suffering through this wonderful art of healing, which was great. You know, I remember when um, I was younger, I during the, the Bosnian War, I went on a humanitarian convoy and the um, the people who had uh, fled the war, or, or some of them, should I say, were based in a camp in Hungary, and the camp was called Nagyatad. And we were there for 10 days. We took supplies, um, two truck or lorry loads, you could say. And it wasn't much thinking of it now in today's time, but it, for them, thank God, it was sufficient that we took clothing, blankets, tinned food, of course, and um, toiletries and, 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 and the things that you, you collect. But... You know, that was a real eye-opener, and, and I remember going in, and you know that feeling that you get of the fact that they had lost everything, literally, they had lost everything, and even loved ones, and yet they were still able to smile, they were still able to welcome us, and to say, oh, please come to our house. They they were in, um, it was, uh, I think they were army barracks, so they were in different uh, rooms, and, and there were dorms set up. But the fact that they were inviting us and, and to have a cup of tea with them, and I, I know we're going off tangent on homeopathy here, but slightly, but it comes back actually to the compassion angle. But um, yes. it was just so humbling to see that where people have lost everything, and yet they're, they're actually more welcoming to to us, and it should have been the other way around. And mm. it, it was uh, it's something like you said, you know, I'll, I'll never I'll never forget that, and it's. Good to have gone through something like that because it does actually ground a person, an individual, to say, to be grateful for the things that God's blessed us with. You know, I think that's really, really important because we have everything, don't we? We have everything that we want at our fingertips. A problem in a way, isn't it? It, it probably is, yeah. We have been spoiled, but I think there's a level of isolation that has set in, which is very hard to break away from and I think there's a recalcitrance in all of us to get back to the level of autonomy that we used to have and I can even see it in myself that I sometimes hesitate to go places which normally I would just have done without thinking and it's almost like the home becomes a shell and a protection. Mm, absolutely which um, actually takes me on to <clears throat> what your experiences were as far as treating trauma uh, in these different countries, I mean, what what was it like? Did there must be an element of teaching, of course, or were the 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 people that you were looking after helping were they already aware of natural therapy, homeopathy? Oh yes, they were, they were. But actually, it was through the teaching, particularly in Croatia, that I had the inspiration to write my book and to understand my own theory. And it was actually outside the room in this house one day in the corridor. I suddenly had this light bulb moment and I thought what well, actually it wasn't really about the individual exposure to the war it was about what they brought to it from their early life and their early struggles and that was always the case when I started analyzing individually each case 
And I thought that's what it's all about. We're all set in stone from those very early years or even the embryonic life, the early life in the womb. And I'm working more and more with that in my practice now with amazing results, particularly with autism. So it really set me on a different path. As you were saying, <clears throat> as you were saying that, I was just thinking that what you said is so, so true, because my personal example is that there's certain things that I went through that one individual, anyone, everybody goes through that you go through as a child and they sort of almost, you could say, mold you or define, start defining you. And, but you don't realize at the time, it's only when you reach a certain age uh, that you actually, because it's a process, isn't it? Maturity is itself a process. You can't be a professor at five years old or 10 years old. You have to go through a learning, a very strong learning curve. Uh, same with um, homeopathy, being a master homeopath takes takes time. You can't just walk into homeopathy and say, right, 12 months. I and think also what people aren't aware of, and which something which I've realized more and more through the work I'm doing, is that actually when these traumas happen, those very prime, what I call primal traumas, the brain structures are afflicted or affected, and we almost become stuck at that time in our development. And often I find with the remedies that, we may break through the trauma, but we also have to release them from that time, that um, regression. There's a lot of regression that happens as a result of trauma. So this uh, is what you've actually mentioned, isn't it, in your book about the pliability of brain structures? Oh, fascinating. Absolutely. Do, do, do share. Sounds fascinating. Well, I've worked quite a lot and I, worked, I wrote quite a seminal article about it some years ago. And it's guided me and I've informed many of my students about that particular article because I realise that homeopathy is one of the few fields of healing where we can actually help to restore the brain structures. And you can even be born with damaged brain structures if there's enough trauma within that birth experience or within the pregnancy of the mother. So I realize that we're working a lot with the brain structures and when we know which remedies comply with different brain structures and how we can help at different stages of life, it's um, monumental to see the differences in our patients. Did you come across this while you were volunteering abroad? Yes, yes, I did. I did. But I worked more on it when I came back. Mm. But there was a lot of regression within the clients. And and how did you find treating them? How how was that experienced? Were you able to see the results while you were still there? Um, oh, yes, because I went back numerous times. So um, I was allowed to be informed about the progress of the patient. Different homeopaths there were allocated on site. So I would get the feedback. And then when I went back, they may have received other remedies or boosters with my instructions. So I was always informed. So it wasn't just a random in and out experience. That must be a very uh, humbling experience uh, in itself. Uh, oh, it's very humbling. And um, I'm really privileged to work with these people. And it was so interesting because working, for example, in Ethiopia, you were talking, I think, before the podcast began about poverty and so on. And um, the first thing I noticed was that they were so interested in my camera. I had a very simple camera. In those days, people didn't have mobile phones to take photographs. And the last day, I left my camera there to one of the students. 
And he still writes to me and says he remembers that day because it changed his life. Not the fact that he received the camera, but the fact that I was able to let go of it and give it to him. For me, it was immaterial. But for him, it wasn't material. It was the gesture. So we take all these things for granted, which they survive very well, as you say, without it. It's such a difference, isn't it, In in from when you look at, the geography of the world and <clears throat> those who are going undergoing you know hunger poverty for no fault of their own of course um who are really suffering and can't even find medical treatment or help and and where we are but uh, you know the link that you've created is is so beautiful because of the fact that you're a homeopath you're able to go and you know, there's there's such an element of compassion there, as as we know. You have to have compassion to be a homeopath. Otherwise, how can you engage with somebody and 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 worry and fret about them getting better? Because that's what we do, isn't it? Until somebody comes back to us saying, "I'm better," we worry. It's on our mind, isn't it? It's also the expectation. I think different patients have different expectations. One of my patients was very angry that I'm going away next week. She said, "Well, what happens if the acute remedies don't work and I end up with the NHS?" Mm. I don't want to go that route. I said, yes, but I'll be a better homeopath if I have a break from time to time. And maybe that's a good thing for you as well. So there's a lot of ego and narcissism in our patients we have to deal with as well. Absolutely. But that's a very interesting point, though, that uh, we we do also need breaks. And for all those homeopaths out there, uh, summer months are upon us. So please, you know, I tinker about in the garden, downtime, time to ground yourself, spend with loved ones, is is critical for anybody not homeopathy of course i'm saying that only for the purposes of the radio show but generally for everybody it's very very important even if it's a a, a stroll in the park uh, if a, a picnic you know it's so important nowadays i do want to press you on your book and how you actually uh, came across the you know the, the epigenetics and and the microbiome and how you basically had, intertwine these all and, and put them together um, there oh, must be a story behind this well, there is a story i would say the book actually took me six years to write so i was very disciplined and i would sit down every day in this office more or less every day and if i wasn't sitting here i'd be lying in bed thinking about the title or about the next chapter but it was very interesting because when it came to the end it just neat reached an, a natural end and in fact, I had a threat from my family. They said, look, it's either the book or us. So one day, soon after that, I just took the manuscript and I threw it at them and said, it's done. And I hardly wanted to add even a reference because it, it felt finite. I felt I'd got the message through. So I was able to weave quite a lot of influences into that book. And I'm looking now at the current world we're living in and how it's very different from the time when I wrote the book. So what we're seeing now is described, well, maybe they're described as different traumas, but it's actually traumatization because the trauma is the original wound. The word trauma means wound. So it's what it taps into and what it evokes for the individual. Some people actually liked lockdown because it just answered all their dreams. They didn't have to go to work. They didn't have to mix with people, mm. feel secluded. So you can't just assume that we all see those events in the same light. Is that, but could that possibly be because you've become 
accustomed to that way of thinking because of and it's infected your psyche and that's who you've become and maybe that's not who you are supposed to be is it just a layer which is so which is so strong it that be, it, it could be a layer it could be a layer i have found one thing uh, elizabeth that i found that when i observe people and this is uh, family loved ones colleagues and uh, just friends afar from all, from all over the world so, so same as yourself i'm quite sure but i have found one thing since uh, you know post pandemic let's say is that there has there is this strong element in people now to be grateful and people are genuinely happy when they do meet uh, people that they they weren't able to meet or talk to during the pandemic and and it's it's so beautiful to see because sometimes it's difficult to put it into words but uh sometimes the emotions of the heart can be expressed physically um but when you see somebody uh, embracing somebody else and because they haven't seen them for so long and you you notice that perhaps that embrace is longer than you would have had before even though it sounds odd but you know that well as homeopaths you observe things right so that that's me observing there you know, counting seconds i mean that's deep but uh, yeah you you find that there's there's those there's emotions up there you can feel what's actually in their heart and it's and that's a good thing as far as the book is concerned i know that you have um received an award which we're going to go into but just going back to the book itself um how have you found uh, are, are you teaching the, the what you've put together in this book have you got a course or or seminars lectures well i've done various lectures and recently there was a group who were actually specializing in autism a group of homeopaths and i was quite interested in approaching them but they approached me and they said look we'd like to learn about autism in the context of trauma could you mentor us so i did and we had about four sessions and it was um, an eye opener for me as well and i learned so much from that and i think through that i thought much more about the embryonic period and the brain structures how they're formed often within that time or the damage can occur and i thought well maybe in autism it's not so much about the lived life of that child but about the embryonic life because that's where speech center is located and forms in uterus etc so it's quite experimental but i have seen results working that way so the fact that autism is on the increase sadly does that obviously paint us picture that there's there is indeed a great amount of trauma maybe this is the generation of trauma that uh, or the previous and this generation certainly and maybe even possibly our, our children are going th- are going to god forbid you know have to go through certain traumas uh, or we have certainly gone through traumas or or our, our forefathers so that's that's actually worrying though isn't it well, what's the cause what's the and cause i don't that? like to attribute it all down to one factor i think there are many factors that feed into it um when you think of modern interventions cesarean epidural drugs in pregnancy etc a lot of these can contribute but i think it's very hard for parents because we don't want to guilt trip them and often that child is carrying the weight of the family and is acting it out and the pivot of distress may lie in a different member and that child has picked up on that and is 
as I say, acting it out. And in my book, I write about a child, an extraordinary case of a young boy, I can't remember how old he was, maybe seven or nine, who suddenly became paralysed in his own house. Mm. Couldn't go upstairs, couldn't go, up, go to school. And um, this was one of um, the triggers to my interest in the work I'm doing. And he didn't respond to indicated remedies like stramonium and mancinella. And one day the mother said, you know, it's not about him, it's about his dad. I don't know what it is, but I know it's about him. But he'll never come to you as a patient. You can treat me, you can treat the brother, but the only thing I can say, he's got hay fever. So he did actually check in with hay fever. And it was very interesting because I was able to interrogate him sufficiently to realize that he actually had been expelled from the country of origin or from his country of origin at the very age this child was at. So this whole process released the child. So the mother intuitively knew it was an ancestral matter, but it was only we could get through it, through it through the hay fever. And of course the hay fever got better as well. And the brother was treated, he didn't need any remedy, very robust. The mother had received treatment, was doing quite well, but she was absolutely spot on in realizing that that thread had come through the father line. That, that is very, very interesting indeed. I'm sure you've come across very um, quite quite a few of these uh, examples. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And secrets in families, keeping things hushed up is not always the best thing. Children feel it at a cellular level, I think. It's difficult, I know, for, for somebody seeking help from a homeopath, for example, to fully open up, and it can take several sessions until i agree on entirely about that i do say that in the book and say you can't home in on this layer straight away mm. it's very interesting you know as you were saying going back to autism because I, that's your 100 percent endorse what you're saying because recently for example one of many uh, i was treating a child who was covered in eczema oozing terrible situation inflamed broken skin face red and it goes back, going back, it actually went back to a traumatic birth. And it went back to the fact that <clears throat> this child was had problems as he was born, problems breathing. So you know, I went back and gave the remedy that was needed at that time. And the eczema started to clear up. And, you know, it's, it's how do you explain that to somebody? I mean, they have to see it. And, of course, the, they've seen it. And now we're, and, and this is one of many cases for all homeopaths, you know, it's nothing new. But what I mean is, it's really hard to explain when somebody sits down in the first instance that, look, um, your child's bleeding or, or, or an adult, you know, you've got all this uh, eczema patches all over your body. Tell me, what were you doing at that time? Because the first response is, what's that got to do with anything? This happened two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. But it takes time. But over time, slowly and surely, you work on the layers and then you work on the deeper level. It's a matter of consciousness, isn't it? Mm. can't expect everybody to be conscious mm. enough Absolutely. to embrace that concept. But it's an interesting journey, isn't it, with patients? Because they know, they actually, they say the best example is to, well, I'll give you an example of homeopathy. Read as many books as you want, but at the end of the day, it's the practice, it's the clinical experiences, they're talking to people, which really opens the mind and become, and the homeopath can then become his or her own artist in whatever 
way they want to do homeopathy. And there's so many different ways now. <clears throat> but uh, it takes time. I have a funny story about that, actually. Because, oh, do share. Um, one seminar, or maybe more than one, I started off the seminar explaining a case where I had a very bossy woman walk in who was some kind of body worker. And she saw me sitting there cross-legged and she pointed to me. She said, why you cross your legs? Why? I said, okay. So I didn't cross my legs all the way through the interview. And at the end of the interview, she said, you did really well. I said, yes, but you did less well. She said, me? What do you mean? I said, because every time you spoke about your mother, you crossed your legs. Her body language changed and she was completely unaware of it. And when I gave her a remedy for quite a deep state based on that resentment of the mother, just from that nuance of observation, the case got better. But of course, that patient will never know that. But also, maybe she'll become a little bit less bossy. But I don't <laughs> cross my legs anymore, I can assure you. <laughs> that was so powerful. That's, uh, that, that is, that, that's the beauty, isn't it? That's really the magic of homeopathy. Oh. You know, the, the everyday ailments are, are uh, and I say this in the humblest way, uh, are, are almost a no-brainer, but it's actually these um, situations where you can actually help somebody and sometimes they realize sometimes they don't but the fact that you're able to do it and you know that's the element of trust that and I think for listeners as well I think it's really important to know that because homeopaths are not people who are given the biggest awards or they're given a million pound checks or they live in the biggest houses certainly not they are all about helping as as far as possible somebody on their wellness journey and you know that in itself needs a round of applause you know a round of applause and congratulations to each and every homeopath each and every doctor of homeopathy professor of homeopathy practitioner of homeopathy student of homeopathy user of homeopathy doesn't it absolutely i agree with you entirely on that level now you had an award in 2022 uh, on hpathy.com, which, by the way, is excellent because um, I post a lot of my um, social media promos for or the trailers for the podcasts on there. So they all go out there. And uh, and I know Alan uh, Schmuckler and um, you were given an award for excellence in homeopathy. So congratulations on that, even though I'm I'm a year late in saying that. But uh, hey. It's never too late when you win an award, eh? No, I built a very good relationship with Alan, and he seemed to, he seemed to get me, and I think I got him too. And um, uh, I'm very um, privileged to be um, associated with HPathy, and I have submitted quite a few articles. And he's always very, very um, welcoming in my work. Alan is a diamond, I have to say, and and I hope he he listens to this. Uh, this uh, podcast and if he doesn't elizabeth you have to let him know that i thanked him because really he's he's an amazing individual and uh yes he he's is. helped me a lot in things he, he probably doesn't even realize he's helped me in no exactly exactly it's so selfless and so so humble and but so uh helpful it's unbelievable absolutely yes well i didn't even know there were such a thing as awards being offered, it just came out of the blue. And when I saw the email, I was going to scrap it. I thought, this looks like a bit of a con. So mm. then I thought, well, let me read it. And then I realized it was actually an award from his organization. Wonderful. Wonderful. And, and well-deserved as well. Oh, well, thank you. 
Um, Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you about um, your practice here in the UK, how that is, and also um, teaching, because I know that you have been quite a frequent flyer, should I say, um, traveling and, and teaching. So uh, please do tell me more about how that how that's going and, and what sort of is, is on the horizon. Well, I have traveled a lot and I've had many opportunities abroad. And I really thought because I was getting older and because of COVID, the options were shutting down. But recently I was invited by a yoga center in Italy to teach for a week at a yoga retreat in the mountains with a wonderful yoga teacher called Walter Ruta, who has a, a yoga center in a place called Ventimiglia, Pramiti. And he has a retreat in the mountains in San Giovanni. And he invited about 30 people there from different countries in Europe. I must say, I felt a little bit estranged, not being European anymore, but I did somehow <laughs> blend in quite well. And we had a wonderful, wonderful interaction. I made my own program for the teaching. So I, I taught about 30 hours altogether, and they were all yoga students. Not many were that familiar with homeopathy, but um, it, it took a wonderful life of its own. And um, I'm sure we'll go on collaborating in the future. What's uh, your experience when you actually, let's use this example, when you talk about homeopathy, how do you actually start? What's your method of saying, what is, you know, if someone asks, well, what is homeopathy or, or this is homeopathy? How, how, do you, how do you use different examples at different times or different techniques? And Because there's so many different variations that anyone can use to explain. Well, I'm very lucky in the sense because I've written the book, many people who come to me come because they want to do the journey. Um, I call it a journey. They want to look, work along their timeline and they know or they recognize the message of the book. And that is very powerful because they prepare themselves and we can work very closely, quite speedily together. Whereas other people come with no awareness. And of course, you have to meet people with their own expectation. Thinking of one of the patients at Grenfell who came with many physical problems. And at some stage, she came to me, she said, you know, I left my husband, but I would never have been able to do it without the homeopathy. But she'd never talked to me about her husband or her unhappy home life. But somehow she evolved to make that decision, which particularly because of her culture, I was going to say about culture, culture plays a huge role in people's ability to move forward and remove their blocks. But she managed to do that. And she was so, um, she felt so humble, but also empowered because she said in her culture, it would be very rare for a woman to be able to do that. And so there was no encouragement on my side because I didn't even know that was going on. But for me, I can see that she's blossomed ever since. And of course, her physical ailments have also abated in that process. It's, it's, uh, it reminds me of a jigsaw puzzle and the, uh, the work that goes into making a thousand piece jigsaw. And I'm only simplifying this, of course, but making a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and you could almost say that's the vital force rebuilding itself and aligning and finally you put the last uh piece in and you take a step back and you and you look at it and you observe it and it just looks beautiful doesn't it oh and, it's incredible it is a transformation isn't it mm, absolutely and yeah. what a wonderful transformation it is as well yeah to get absolutely. people to become stronger to be able to move on with their life to make decisions about leaving a job because they're unhappy 
about being bullied and, and many awful things as well, of course. Uh, of course, you don't go to a homeopath because everything's fine. There's no need. But it's about uh, trust, trusting the process, isn't it, really? Absolutely. Yes. yes, I always talk about process. Now, I wanted to ask you about your practice and uh, how, how that is and where you're... Um, how how busy are you get with all with everything that you're doing? I'm I'm surprised you do actually get time to to practice, but uh, do tell. Well, it's interesting because now most of my patients come from different corners of the world, so I don't have many local patients like I used to. So there doesn't seem much point in having an active clinic because most people prefer to work on Zoom or whatever. Um, so. That's quite tedious as well for me because obviously I like the face-to-face -face contact. But I hope in the future they'll, I'll be able to break away from that and get back to more face-to-face. -face. But as I say, as long as it expands and people come from different corners of the globe, I have to work this way. Well, it has it, it's a lot of positives. And, and I think every guest, I've, we've, we've touched upon this, that you know, for, for this, I, I honestly think it's, it's brilliant. Of course, there is... It's totally different experience to have somebody sitting physically in front of one, but the fact that it's opened up the world to all homeopaths, so we can extend our reach to help purely to help others, and people find it very comfortable now to to WhatsApp do a WhatsApp video call. You will remember about ten years back how expensive it used to be to call any country outside of the UK, and now it's free, isn't it? As long as you have Wi-Fi at home. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, and I do partition my day so I usually have the morning free to take a walk or meet a friend and um, I like to work in the afternoon early evening and um, I do put down some boundaries about when I'm going to be available etc. Now I want to ask you some um, light-hearted well they're not light-hearted but let's say some uh, some interesting questions uh, maybe a bit more relaxed. I want to ask you your favorite remedies do you have any favourite remedies yes, that I you do, have actually. Find? Yeah. Well, obviously, like everybody else, I love Nux Vomica because I think it has a massive application and it works so quickly. I'm talking more about acute, but my favourite remedy ever is um, Pura, Pura Brasiliense. Mm. And I feel that remedy is quite a lot my own discovery because I only discovered it through rubrics because I discovered so many rubrics related to isolation, abandonment, ostracization. So it was a very strong feeling. And often I found within the patients that the wound, as I call the trauma, the wound came from the original family. Something happened, an event happened. And the results of that remedy have been absolutely monumental and life transforming. Even after one prescription, I just wish every remedy worked as well as that remedy. Well, that's one certainly to keep in mind. Yeah, you know, well, I like. I just say what's <clears throat> fascinating, Attic, about that remedy is it's very syphilitic. And of course, we know that people who manifest a remedy from syphilitic miasm, they often make us feel very drained as practitioners. They take our energy. But with horror, it's quite the opposite. They have a very loving, articulate way of phrasing things. So, however damaged and hurt they are, Somehow, one always feels empowered by their presence. And it's a beautiful quality, but obviously the degree of suffering is extreme. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 talking about remedies, um, 
have you you must have used the remedy or kubaka which is mentioned by julia yes. that's i i really you know that's the that's the remedy between nux and arsenicum isn't it so it's a, almost like a, a an in-between but it's a very powerful remedy for so many things and people aren't actually aware of it well it's very much used for allergy but actually it works a lot on the cognition front in allergic autistic children it has a brain picture in that remedy so obviously what for, comes first in that remedy is the gut mm. because we know that so many autistic children have disturbed gut no it's a fantastic remedy i agree with you now favorite books um over and above the one you've written <laughs> <laughs> yes well the book that got me into homeopathy, I don't say um, I still refer to it, but it was Vidulka, so I mustn't forget the original masters, Medicine of the New Man. That was um, one. And I've always liked Roger Morrison. Hmm. Um, his yes. book, but of course, Murphy. Yes. Murphy. Murphy. I mean, it's very sad to, to learn about his demise this year, but he was prolific and very insightful. Yes. There are many people, I must say. Um, I'd really have to think about it. But Louis, Louis Klein as well, a Canadian homeopath. Yes. Jan his Schultz. new book is very, very interesting. Yes. What's his new book about? It's The Fish Remedies. Oh, yes. yes. Um, Jan Scholten was probably one of my biggest influences with the periodic table and with the Lantanides remedy. Um, I was blown away when I first learned about his way of working. And I must say, I think the periodic table is very appropriate. The remedies from the is very appropriate for the age we're now living through. And the Lantanides remedies. I definitely pay tribute to him. Amazing, amazing work has been done. But I think um, you must share a link to your, uh, to the book as well. And uh, we can certainly... Uh, looking to sort of promoting it a bit more i think um, well thank you very much yes i think it's a good book um, for the public but for homeopathics it comes in hardback as well as softback but the hardback's quite good if you want it as a manual you can dip in and out of it mm. and you, obviously initially you might read through but then it's always available to refer to in different chapters okay um now, finally, what's on the horizon? What are you working on for the rest of the year, for example, or into next? Yes, what I'm working on is a very interesting project. It's another book. Uh, this time I'm writing it with a colleague, somebody called Nigel Hargreaves, who's a very good friend as well. He's trained as a homeopath, but he's all, also a climate scientist. So our writing, a combined writing, is very much bringing his knowledge of climate science together with homeopathy and sustainability. So we're looking at homeopathy in light of the modern age and the new paradigm. There definitely is mm. a new normal. And how different remedies are coming to the fore because we're all gravitating away from our original birth stories and our original pictures. So we may have been calcar before or phosphorus before, but we may now need a deeper remedy such as helleborus or picric acid. Mm. Because it's almost like the level of anxiety and angst out there has caused a new layer, maybe mm. even a new miasm. 
So that's what we're talking about. It's quite controversial. It's quite cutting edge. But it's also a compilation of all the, web, all the articles I've written on my website since the pandemic, where I've looked at homeopathy through this new filter. That sounds fascinating. I think you must come on uh, later this year and uh, talk some more about this. Uh, I think it's a fascinating it's to bring my to bring my colleague on board too, because his uh, contribution is um, marvellous to have the knowledge of both climate science and homeopathy. Absolutely. And and it's uh, even though it's over 200 years old now, homeopathy has always been and will continue to be sustainable because of the pure simplicity of it and yet how powerful it is. It is actually, in the simplest words, um, an atom, an atom which uh, is, is extremely powerful when you use it. Otherwise, on its own, you can't yeah. do anything. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Dalian, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. So much knowledge that you've imparted today. And uh, I really genuinely want to thank you again for taking time out, um, coming on the podcast and uh, talking to me about your experiences and your insights. And of course, this very, very interesting book that you've authored. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me and for encouraging my work, because I think there's a big calling out there. Brilliant. And uh, hopefully I will talk to you uh, with your colleague Nigel later yes, later this year, he'll be delighted. Yes, thank you very thank much. You so much. Well, good luck for you and the work thank you me. do. It's great. Great, thank you. Thank you. Bye, Attic. Bye. And that was Elizabeth Adalian talking about her experiences as a homeopath, talking about how she um, committed some her time to going out to help those in war torn countries. Uh, providing support through homeopathy and, of course, other means as well, relaying some examples and also talking about her book, which uh, is really what her focus is on. And um, I do hope you found that interesting. I, I personally thought it was fascinating. It's such a blessing to be able to host this show, to produce this show, to talk to so many homeopaths around the world. Every homeopath I speak to is in my understanding and and as far as i'm concerned is is eminent because they have their own unique identity and skill and you know it's just so beautiful to speak to so many different people and so many different minds but it's all one community who are committed to using homeopathic medicines to help mankind so i look forward to speaking to you next week until then uh, take care and stay safe. I do hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Homeopathy Health Show. Please do support the show by clicking follow on my socials. Remember, the more exposure the podcast receives, the better for homeopathy around the world. You can find me on Instagram by searching for at like underscore treats like and on both Facebook and TikTok by searching for at like treats like. So let's promote the voice of homeopathy on radio and podcast around the world together. Don't forget to visit me online at www.liketreatslike.co.uk and click on the radio and podcast tab. Here you'll be able to see all the guests that have joined me on the show so far. And of course, you can stream on demand the latest episode to your mobile, tablet or PC. Until next time, stay safe and take care.